I'm Heather. I'm Haley. And we're the Whodunit Sisters, a Kansas City true crime podcast. This episode is on Chad Donaldson. We've spoke with his mom and his stepdad, and they told us about Chad and what happened on the evening that he was murdered. Well, my name is Jenny Donaldson Height, and my son Chad Donaldson was shot and killed as he was walking down the street in Belton um, almost eight years ago. And um, he was shot in the stomach. We, the way we, we've got a redacted report, police report, so we really don't have all the details. And I can understand the secret, secretiveness, but it's really frustrating when you can't be told, you know, everything as they're doing it or know what they're doing or whatever. But um, it sounds like there was a witness um, who uh, heard it and then looked out the window and saw Chad staggering around in the street and she went out she called 911 but he had already called and um, she went out and stayed with him until the police came and they told us please don't contact her because that just would mess up the case so I still feel bad to this day that I haven't been able to say thank you so much you know for being with with him This happened at two o'clock in the morning and the police officer came knocking at my door and he said, is this Chad's house? And I said, yes. And he said, well, Chad's been shot. And I said, where? And he said, right up the street. And I said, no, I mean, where on his body? And he said, I can't tell you that because of the investigation. And they've taken him to research hospital and you just need to get there. As we were getting dressed and trying to get our thoughts together and everything, the phone rang and it was research emergency room saying that they had Chad and that we needed to get there immediately. And that drive from our house to research felt forever. Um, when we got there we were greeted by a chaplain. And so she told, said that Chad was in surgery and that he was alive, he was speaking when he came in. And that um, she didn't tell us exactly what they were working on, but you know, that they're working on him, trying to save him. And she put us in the ICU waiting room because that's where were they going to bring him after they were finished with the surgery. And so we sat there for three hours. Uh, then the surgeon came out and he said, I don't want to give you false hope. He said, um, we lost him several times on the table and that um, we had to just stop. We didn't sew him back up, we just packed him. And he said, if he's still alive tomorrow, he'll have more surgery. And my mind, my great denial mind instantly went to, there's gonna be more surgery tomorrow. But he wasn't brought back into ICU, but five or 10 minutes that we heard code blue, ICU, and they came out and got us immediately. And we watched as they gave him CPR. Uh, there were a group of students, I think, and so they did it for a full 30 minutes, each of them taking turns. And there was one point that it looked like he was gonna come back. They kind of saw a sign and stopped and looked and they went right back to their work. So finally, um, oh gosh, was it 7 a.m.? Yeah, about 7 a.m. they stopped and said, okay, we're gonna call it now. And so we stayed there with Chad until the uh, Jackson County coroner came to get him. Um, he just looked like he was asleep, he was warm I guess maybe I can be glad that I had that much 
time with his body at least, but I wanted so bad to talk to him, you know, because we'd had a little bit of an argument that night and um, I don't didn't want that to be the last words I said to him. So um, anyway, so he passed away and um, we, we had him cremated. We found out later from Corey's network that we could have had help from the victims um, victims compensation unit with paying for the funeral but we had him cremated because we really just couldn't afford the casket and all that um, I wish we'd known that earlier but we did use that money to buy a grave and then put the ashes in the grave and I'm I feel better that he's there some people everyone's different you know but so we got him buried and um, that helped in the meantime Chad had friends, all kinds of friends, that really reached out to me, and I really appreciate the fact that they did. And they all had theories, and somehow I just let my hopes get up, and then they just get dashed when, you know, that didn't turn out to be it either. So um, the case never did go cold, according to Belton Police. It was always open and active, but there just weren't any new leads coming in. And when the, the new chief of police came in, uh, he ran for the office, and one of his problems, or one of his promises, was to solve the cold cases in Belton. And he started with Chad. And um, they called us in. It was like last November. They called us in to the Cass County Prosecutor's Office to let us know what was going on. The prosecutor said, "I never want to give a family false hope, but this case is going to get solved." And you know, it sounded like an arrest was imminent, like within a couple of weeks. Well, it wasn't, but they put us on the news, and so we talked about it. I mean, I've done everything I could to keep Chad's name out there, you know, as much as possible. Um, they they put him on the news, and then about a month later, I called the detective, and I said, are we just being used for PR, or what, you know? And uh, the detective said, no, he said this case really will be solved, but he said my timeline is different than their timeline. And so it wasn't until, um, this is August now, probably July, mid-July, that the detective called me, maybe early July, and told me that um, he had it all done. He talked to whoever it was the first day, and he was giving his files all together to submit to the prosecutor. And he said, if you don't hear from the prosecutor within a month, call him. So in about three weeks, I called the prosecutor. And the prosecutor said that, um, he said, well, yeah, we have the case. But he said, if we had seen something that stood out, we would have already made the arrest, issued the warrant, pressed the charges. But we don't have that yet. And we are continuing to review it. And I don't know how long the process of reviewing this will be. I, I don't want to. I don't want to give up hope, but I don't want to raise my hopes again either because really honestly when he told me that you could have knocked me over with a feather and you know I've just been like I'll wake up some mornings just so angry and I know that's part of grief but I hadn't really come to that part of it. I was a little mad at God because I was sitting in the waiting room begging him to let Chad live but he didn't and um, so I, I really didn't want to go there again, but now I'm mad at God again. So, and, and I know it's part of it, and I have faith, and I know that God understands and, and all that, but, um, but yeah, this has just been 
the worst, the very worst, and it's eight years later almost, it gets even worse. Worse. From the prosecutor's standpoint, uh, he's got to figure out some way to make it uh, acceptable to get this party off the streets, at least for a little while. Chad was 36 years old, and he had a disability, so he was didn't have a job. He was on Social Security, and um, I was amazed at the number of people at his funeral that came up to me and told me how much they loved him and how much he'd done for them and how much he'd saved them and how he was so easy to talk to where other people weren't. And he, um, he did have a struggle with substance abuse and probably that was related, I don't know, but um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want, my brother is a chaplain and he said to me the very, like a week later, he said, you have to admit that Chad played a role in his own death and I still haven't gotten over that, you know, it's just like, how could you say that to me? But I, I didn't have the wherewithal or whatever right then to speak up to him. So, so you know, things, things you carry them and you try to let them go, but you keep carrying them anyway and they keep building and so that. He didn't, and, you, and I know you know that. That's no different than saying because a girl's wearing a skirt that, and Absolutely. she's out late that she deserves to get raped. I mean, right. it, it's, it's no, nobody does. And he was put in a rehab program. So I thought that was great too. And then when he got out, he came to live with us. And we were in Belton at the time. And and then he hooked up with an old friend that he'd had since he was 12 years old. And they, you know, were still one of those kind of friendships like they'd never been apart. And so she got him introduced to the people he got to know in Belton. You know, he's going to stay clean now. And. Um, Turned out he didn't. One of his friends told me later, she said, I, I kept wanting to tell you, but I just couldn't. He relapsed one week after he got out. So, but anyway, uh, back to Chad. Uh, he loved to fish. That was his favorite thing in the world to do. And he loved the wild, well, the being out in nature. Um, and so from a small child, he would always bring home snakes and skinks and lizards and whatever he could find, toads and frogs. and. He'd keep them for a while and then release them again. And the the coolest thing one time, he brought in a ribbon snake and he put it in an aquarium. And then he found another one and brought it in too. And the two were entwined for quite a while. And I didn't even think about what they were doing <laughs> until Chad suddenly one day came and said, Mom, Dad, come here, look, look. And the, the snake was having babies and she had like 12 of them. And this kind of snake, it's not eggs, it's live birds. So they came out in little bags and kind of wrinkled their way out. And then Chad left the, the lid off the aquarium so all these snakes escaped in the house. <laughs> but we found it. We found every last one of them. So that was pretty amazing. But Chad, Chad loved children and children loved him. And so uh, the area that that we lived him and his friends, there were a lot of single moms. And so there were a lot of children there that didn't have a fatherly influence. And from everything I understand, Chad was, kind of took over that role for a lot of those kids. Um, he would take them fishing and, you know, 
they teach them how to fish. I mean, you know, learn how to bait, bait a hook and the whole nine yards. And, and so there were some really crushed children when he died. Um, and two in particular, I know that were the very closest to him, uh, both had to have grief, grief counseling. And I think they offered that through the Belton School District, I believe. But um, I mean, it really, really hurt these two girls, little girls. And I think they were both like six years old at the time. So uh, he also just had an incredible number of friends. I mean, Chad never knew a stranger. And he, um, like I said, he had a disability, so he was a little different. He got picked on, but he didn't let that get him down. He just kind of kept going to people that would accept him. And, and he found a huge, huge friend base. So. Um, I'm really proud of, of him, and it was almost like he had a ministry from what his friends were telling me. There was one at least that said that they were in the midst of an overdose, and Chad happened to just come in, walk in the door, and called 911 and got her to the hospital and saved her life. And then a couple of others said that they were in the midst of an overdose, and Chad called all of a sudden and said, go to the hospital now. It was like he knew. I don't think he was psychic, but he knew what was going on. And, um, you know, I mean, it was just, he, he at one point had been a member of AA and had gotten a lot out of it. And at that time, I just couldn't believe the wisdom he had because people were calling him all the time with their struggles and he was talking them through it and the wisdom that he was showing. It's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this is Chad. Wow, I couldn't believe it. But um, he, he quit AA, he told me that it was because even though he was sober from alcohol, he wasn't really sober because he was using drugs and mm -hmm. he just felt too guilty. He was he was a very honest guy, very honest. And so I'm sorry that he gave it up because it was a wonderful group for him. And and they were a wonderful group. He, well, they were a wonderful group for each other, basically. Um, I, I had a friend of Chad's call me one day. I hadn't met her before. My ex-husband had put a memorial down by the river where Chad fished, and it was called Chad's Old Fishing Hole is what it said on the cross. And then this was his grief work. He would go and decorate it for every holiday. So it got decorated for Halloween and for Christmas and for Thanksgiving and for Easter, and you know, he had his pictures on it. And then we, we had flooding, and so my ex-husband took the memorial up because he didn't want it to be swept away. And sure enough, that whole area was just gone. And he never did put it back up. And I was just really sorry he didn't because I loved having it up there. Another friend of his um, sent me a picture of some guy standing in front of the memorial. And I think he was holding a fish and kind of making a face. And it was like, oh my God. You know, I, I just thought that was really cool that, you know, people could get getting some fun with Chad's memorial. So, um, what, what area was that? Do you? It was at the Missouri River and it was just right down, well by Sam's Club where it used to be, not Sam's Club, Sam's Town. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, that casino okay. where it used to be and mm -hmm. you had to walk across the tracks and you had to do a lot of walking to get to it, but you know, it, it was the perfect area and he caught a lot of fish. So, um, I started to say that one of his friends called me um, kind of out of the blue. I've had a lot of calls like that, and they've always been really good. But she said that, I just want you to know how I think this is such crap, and 
you know, this case needs to be solved and all that. But she said that, you know, after AA meetings, Chad and I used to go down to the river and we would talk for hours. And I've never been able to talk to anyone like I could talk to Chad. And um, I guess he was kind of her therapist in a way, you know, for a little while there. And But she, she then ended up with saying, but I told him, and I still will never eat a fish out of that river. So, <laughs> so um, uh, let's see, there, another Chad story. Well, there was a time that he was very much into, like I said, nature. So he loved to go pick mushrooms and he'd bring them home, fry them up. He'd catch fish and clean them and put them in the skillet and fry them up and we'd all have fish and, you know, he just shared everything. But one time he brought uh, morels home, we thought, and so everybody ate some. And then Chad was the first one to get sick. And so I took him to the emergency room and it turned out those weren't morels. Oh. I don't know if they were death caps. I'm not sure, but they weren't good. So he poisoned the family. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Um, I got sick while I was in the emergency room, and so they gave, made me drink charcoal. Oh, that's so horrible. But um, And then they called and said, your husband's on the phone, and he and your other son are both sick, too. And so, you know, we're, we've sent them out what they need to do so they don't have to come in here. So, <laughs> but, yeah. So he poisoned his family, but... Not because he didn't love us. Um, and then the other thing that I want to say is that Chad was killed two weeks before his birthday. And um, on his birthday, Abby Eden from Channel 4 called and wanted to come interview me. And then that was just a godsend because she asked me if I would mind if she gave my name to another lady who had a similar situation. And I said, not at all. And it turned out this other lady was Michelle Mechi. Norris, yeah, Corey's network, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they were life-saving for me. I mean, they really were. They're the ones that got us hooked up with the crime victims, and um, I just, I don't know. I mean, they just helped in everything. At, at that point, Corey's case wasn't solved either, and the day it got solved, uh, Shelly called me first. She mm -hmm. said, I, you just had to be the first. I had to let you know. They, they, they caught him, and the guy was convicted and uh, he plead bargained and so uh, I think he served two or three years maybe and his part of the sentence is over but he is still in prison because he was a felon and had a deadly weapon. But you know the, the criminal justice system it, it's just so wrong and I don't know how to overhaul it. I mean I know that innocent people end up being convicted of things that they didn't do but then for the guilty, especially when they know who it is, roaming the streets of Belton, you know, it's like, no. So, um, I don't know, right now, I'm at a place where I've kind of, like I said, have new grief all over again and just dealing with anger and I just remind myself I've got a right to be and just mm -hmm. have to do the right thing with it. Um, Part of my coping was writing poetry books I wrote, too. Mm -hmm. and you write beautifully, by the way. Oh, thank I, you. Yes, you do. Okay. Poems just were pouring out, you know. And and for the first couple of years, I wasn't able to cry. I can't tell you why. I've never understood that, but I wasn't. I was crying inside, but the tears weren't coming. And so the poetry was how I was expressing my tears, you know. 
um, and, and that really helped me a lot. People that read it, and I've had people, friends that said that, you know, I've got a friend that's going through the same thing, and I sent her your books, and she said that she couldn't read them too fast. She cried over and over again while reading them, but that it helped her, too, so much. And, and in the books I uh, intertwined, the first one is um, Chad's life up to his death, and I intertwined his story in with the poetry. And then the second book was Life After Chad, and then it was After Chad's Death. And just talking about everything that, well, that I discovered, that we discovered, that we went through, and all that. The woman who ended up calling 911 for Chad mm -hmm. and ended up staying with him mm -hmm. until, until the ambulance arrived was... We don't hear that that often. Oh, I can't think of the word for it. Um, no, oh, it's, it's great. I mean... We just, the last show was, they wouldn't help um, Rome. flip Roman over. No, they wouldn't you even know, help flip Roman over. And there's a, many cases where people just don't, they don't want to get involved. They don't even want to help. Unless they're hitting record. There's, there's people that have very important information that the prosecutor's office needs to help with this case. And so we are pleading with them to come forward. So please... Please do the right thing. It's not snitching. It's doing the right thing. And Jenny has been waiting all these years for this. And she's been let down. Um, Jenny Donaldson wrote some books to help her with her grief. And so I was going to read a poem from one of them. Missing him. I miss my child. I feel such pain that will not go away. I ask my God to please, please help, but still I feel dismay. I pray to him and beg for him to take away this pain, to give me some assurance that I'll see my son again. I want him to turn back the clock and make this just not true. It really isn't fair at all, and that's why I am so blue. Blue depressed, none of these words express the way I feel. It goes so deep, I cannot say this sadness is too real. It makes me mad and it makes me sad. It's like God doesn't care. My faith tells me he really does, that he is always there. I don't know what to think of that. Just leave it in God's hands. Don't know how much good prayer does, but I know I still stand. And I feel like that is exactly what every parent has said going through this. There are three people who have vital information on this case that the prosecutor is waiting to receive. It is so important that you reach out to them and give them the information to help move this case to the final stage. Just please help Jenny and her, and her family. Because it's not just them that are relying on these people, but it's everyone relying on these people because if they did it once, they don't have any problems with doing it again if they have an issue come up. I mean, that's, a, I guess, the way that they problem solve. So it'd be good to get these people off the street. Kansas City has over 700 murders. It's just... We need to take back the city, take back the power, 
get these people off the streets. And to do that, we need your help by doing the right thing. And if you share this so that people can see it, so that enough people know, that's what it takes. You can, you can leave an anonymous tip, 816-474-TIPS, um, um, so that if it makes it easier to reach law enforcement by going that route and staying anonymous. Chad, what I thought was really interesting, too, was um, how many people he helped. You know, he was a good friend and a good listener, and even with his passing, people have gotten back on the right track just by just having known him. They've wanted to make, make themselves better right. even after his death. And I think that shows you just how great of a person that he was. Right. Stand-up guy. Right. Yeah. So to help stand up for him by doing the right thing. So what's our next episode on? We will be covering Daryl Allen speaking with his mother and sister about uh, Ward Parkway, the Ward Parkway shooting. Okay. Um, please like our channel. Please share. That's how we can get these stories out there so that the witnesses can come forward. And keep these names going. That's our whole... We are their voice. Yeah. So... Thank you. Thanks.